0: you now tuned in to the gumtown podcast i'm your boy doug b we ain't got nothing to talk about but we got something to talk about let's go Good people, good people, good people. Welcome back to the Gumtown Podcast, episode 80. I'm your boy, Doug B. If you tuned in to this podcast, thank you for your time and your attention. I really appreciate you giving this podcast a shot. Today's guest, he's an author, speaker, and activist. I'm looking forward to this conversation, and I'm sure we'll all be inspired by his story. Let's chop it up with DeCorey Hill. DeCorey, how's it going, man?
1: Man, it's going great. How about yourself?
0: I'm glad to hear that. All is well on my end too. First things first. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chop it up with me a few minutes. I really appreciate it.
1: Man, absolutely. I'm I'm glad to be here.
0: Yes, sir. Of course, we're here to talk about the work you've been doing as an author, speaker, and activist. But before we go there, let's get to know the man behind it all. What's your story?
1: Uh well, um, 40 years old, uh born and raised in a small town of Silicon, Alabama. Uh Went to Alabama State University, uh, majored in marketing. After, you know, after I came back, got a job with Alabama Power. Matter of fact, just got 16 years there uh, yesterday. Um, But with, you know, uh, have four kids, uh, two boys, two girls. And with, you know, with the time that I have, you know, the free time that I have, you know, I decided to do other things and just kind of venture off. And so that's where I am now. And, And that's kind of how I got to where I am now.
0: Okay, short and sweet and to the point. Let's talk about your upbringing in Silicargo. What was that like?
1: Uh, well, you know, uh, Silicargo is the country. You know, I can't, I can't lie, but you know, but I, I, I enjoy it. Um, I still enjoy being there. Um, you know, just learn the value of hard work. Um, my mom was a, uh, middle school secretary. Uh, My dad was, uh, my dad worked at the uh, Marble Quarry. And so uh, he passed in 2000. And so, you know, it was just me, my mom, and my sister, um, even now. So, uh, you know, just did what he had to do. And, you know, I was 18 when he passed and graduated and went to, uh, went to community college, you know, for a couple of years and then transferred to Alabama State. So, um, but, you know, even though it's been 22 years, You know, since he's been gone, you know, I still I still carry a lot of those lessons that, you know, that he instilled in me. And, you know, I keep a lot of the work ethic, you know, that I learned from him, you know, and even in that short amount of time that we were together.
0: And that's dope, man. Keeping his memory alive through his practicing those work ethics and stuff. That's it. Those those habits. Now, that's dope, man. Let's talk about your time at the Alabama State University. What was HBCU experience like for you?
1: Oh man, the Alabama State University, man. Hey, what, uh, what what do they say now? What do young people say? We had a time. <laughs> man, we, uh, hey, we had a good time. Um, but you know, not not gonna lie. Um, you know, once my dad got sick, I I stayed close, and you know, went to community college, and you know, I just kind of played around, you know. And, and I tell people now, you know, I tell especially younger people, I tell them now, you know, you. You go to college for all this stuff, but two, you know, you still have two underlying reasons that people go off to college. You know, one is, you know, to get, you know, to get good grades and get the experience. And two is to kind of get away from the same knuckleheads that you were hanging around during high school that were kind of, you know, whether it was a distraction, whether they were bringing you down, whether they were, you know, channeling your focus somewhere else. You know, you try to get away from them. And so I went to community college, maybe 10 minutes from my house. And so what happens, I'm still around everybody. You know, I'm I'm still at home, but now I have a little bit more freedom. And so, you know, my grades started to slip a little bit. Um, I was there a a little bit longer than I wanted to be. And I remember, um, I remember telling, you know, my mom that I got accepted back in Alabama State University. And uh, she looked at me and she said, well, I'll tell you what, she said, you can go down there playing and doing everything like you were doing up here. But if you uh," no, she said, go down there. And she said, but if you go down there and you're playing and doing everything that you were doing up here, she said, you're going to come back and you're going to get a job. And I don't want to ever hear another word about college. And at the time, you know, I'm 18 years old. I'm working at when I was 19. I'm working at Arby's. So in my, so in my mind, my small mind, I'm thinking, man, I can't come back and work at Arby's for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I go down there and I'm on the Dean's list every semester, but you know, by the same, you know, by the same token, I'm on Dean's list, I'm working, I'm grinding, but I still had time to have, you know, I still made time to have fun. You know, I was in a couple of, uh, I was in a couple of clubs, Um, you know, a uh, cultural unity organization uh, being one. Uh, I used to step with the uh, with Martin Luther King Hall. You know, we we had a little step team, and you know. But other than that, you know, I, I used to hang out. I stayed, you know, stayed at the uh, Rose Supper Club. Did did my fair share of time there. Mm-hmm. Right <laughs> whether, on, right
0: on. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Whether whether that was a smart move or not, I was there, and I, you know, I I made it. You know, I made it out to tell the story. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I had a good time and, you know, I encourage anybody, um, you know, give, give an HBCU a shot because it is more like family, you know, because I went, you know, I, I know I know people, you know, I had classmates from high school that, you know, they they took the to Auburn, Alabama, Troy State, uh, Ole Miss, Georgia routes. And, you know, they told me that you know, you were, you were referred to by the last four digits of your social security number, or they may say your last name, but they wrote it down, but they didn't care whether you came or not. And they and they made it plain. Mm-hmm. But Alabama State, just like I'm sure it is with other HBCUs, it's like family. You know, so if you, if you miss one class, you lay out, you duck out, you gotta work, whatever, they don't care. But if you miss that second one, or if it, for sure if you miss that third one they calling
0: right you know they, <laughs> they
1: they 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 got your number from somebody or they already had your number and they're calling hey uh you know it's just like you know it's just like an extension of your mom and dad down there and these professors used to call and be like hey where are you when are you coming back i'm not you know i'm not going to fail you for any foolishness you know cuz it's it's one thing to fail you know, or it's one thing to be lacking because you just can't get the material or you're just not. But, you know, they weren't going to accept, I uh, man, you know, he's just going to lay out and, you know, fail. No, nah, they, they were going to do everything in their power to ensure that you were there. And, and that's what I love about it. And that's what I loved about the experience, because it was family. They actually did care. And when you know that, you know, and when you know that somebody cares, you're going to put forth your best effort. To, you know, to prove them, you know, to prove them right, you know, to prove that, you know, thank you for taking the chance home.
0: Yes, sir. And that's spot on. The HBCU experience that you described is exactly what it was for me, you and several others, just that family aspect. And it's like a big melting pot. You got people from Alabama, like yourself and I, people from Midwest, West coast, all over. We all come together and we become family oh, yeah. despite our cultural differences. And, um, like you were saying in terms of our professors they were definitely on our case like we were more than a number we was like hey like you said you missed a couple classes they could hit up yourself on like where you at like what you been doing and yeah and not only that man like just that community of family and those friends you build if you miss a class or something you have those people that those friends that have those notes for you to catch you up like hey man like this is what we talked about in this class so it was just an overall family aspect man and um you hit on a very key point like in terms of the PWIs because I grew up in the gump, you grew up in Chicago and I'm I'm pretty sure growing up all you heard was Alabama Arvin like HBCUs wasn't even something that was promoted to us and we ended up at HBCU and ended up I I speak for me and I pretty much get, what I gained from you ended up being the best decision you made.
1: Oh yeah. Oh by far. By far. <laughs> the best decision I could have ever made.
0: No doubt and you came you was in, you graduated in marketing, so you came about that COBA. So you was there with Percy Vaughn. What was that like? I barely missed Percy Vaughn when I got in the BA in 07. What was Percy uh, Vaughn? Oh,
1: man. You, hey, you missed the treat, man. <laughs> <You missed> the <laughs> I treat. did,
0: man. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, you missed the treat. Now, that was, now, Dean Vaughn, man, no nonsense. But you knew, but you knew that he loved you. You know, you, you knew that he cared. And so when he was coming down in the midst of, you know, in the midst of that lecture that you were getting, you, you knew, okay, well, you know, he cares. So I can, you know, so I can take this chewing out a little bit better because I know he's, I know he cares and he's not just doing it just to do it, you know, but by the same token, you know, full of humor, laughing, joking. I mean, you know, have a good time, but I mean, again, an extension, you know, of your parents or grandparents. You know, we gonna have a good time until it's time to buckle up. You know, and if I gotta get on your case a little bit, that's what it's gonna be. And and you had to respect it.
0: No doubt, he's definitely revered. And like I said, like when I got in the BA, he was retiring, and I I didn't get the full experience, but I did witness him. Up on of somebody because they were sagging he he went oh, all the way oh, there yeah. and, and the dude pulled his pants up he ain't booked back at yeah. Dean Vaughn he, he respected oh, yeah. him like yes sir yeah,
1: that's Dean Vaughn man that, that's Dean Vaughn you, <laughs> you, you, didn't, you know you didn't cross him you, you know whatever he told you to do you just did it and kept going
0: yes sir no doubt man so let's transition over into what you've been doing in the entrepreneurial space so which one did you get into first activism or as an author or speaker which one came first
1: well actually i got into um i got into being an author first um and, and it's so crazy how it worked out um my oldest daughter is 17 now and so um what happened i used to write her bedtime stories uh, we would go you know when she was two uh we would go to the library and you know most kids and parents they have a you know it's kind of a kind of a war. You know, hey, I want you to get these, you know, I want you to get this many books and the kid is like, "Well, I don't want to get this many books." And you, you know, a lot of times you compromise in the middle. Usually that compromise is maybe one or two books. And so with Nyla, you know, she's a little different. We were going and we were picking up 10 books some days. Some days we were picking up 15 books. And you know, even though she couldn't read, of course, at the time, she loved to hear the story. She loved to kind of imagine that she was there. She loved to see, you know, she loved to see the pages, you know, the illustrations and everything like that. Well, the problem is as big as Silicaga's uh, children's library is, you know, it's only so, it's only so big and there's only so many books that you can have before you start repeating. And so we had got to the point where we had started, you know, borrowing the same books over and over and so I asked her one day, I said, well, hey, would you like for, you know, would you like for me to write your bedtime stories? And she was like, sure. So I said, okay. So what I did was I would, um, I would write one, you know, I would write one story uh, per week. And um, so I would write one story per week. And in total, I wrote 26 stories.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And so, and so I'll write one story per week. And uh, in total, I wrote 26 stories. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, 26 completely different stories. It was 26 completely different stories. And so I just kind of sat on, you know, for a while. And probably go back, uh, probably fast forward to maybe... 6 years ago I had a crazy idea. Hey, you know, what if I could turn these stories into books? Mm-hmm. You know. And so I I got with uh got with a mentor, got with my mentor, uh Carol, and she helped me get, you know, she helped me get a publisher. Uh, well, I self-published. Let me take that. Let me take that back. I self-published. Um she helped me find the illustrator, but the good thing about her was She also like there was she would split the workload. So there were things that she would do on her side and there were things that I would do on my side. And then but the things that she would do on her side, she would come back and say, well, hey, this is how I did it. You know, just in case, for example one day I wasn't able to, um, you know, just in case one day she wasn't able to help me out, or if I just decided, hey, I want to do everything by myself, she pretty much gave me the blueprint to it, which, you know, which I think was cool, because a lot of times, you know, people try to, you know, people try to hold on to that information, and they'll say, well, hey, you can come back, but I'll charge you again, you know, but with Carol, she was real cool about it she was just like well hey I'm gonna teach you I'm gonna give you all the keys right now so um so you know so that was cool um and also a little side note how I how I ended up getting into it as well is um about 2014 I had a high school friend reach out to me he was starting a um, he was starting a hip-hop website and so he hit me up and he was like, hey, man, you know, this is what I'm doing. You know, can you do the music reviews? And I was like, yeah. So all I did was music reviews, you know, every week. And so I ended up doing that for maybe about six months. And a couple of uh, magazines saw it. A couple of, you know, smaller magazines have no clue to this day how they saw that. But they, you know, they saw it, reached out to me and said, well, hey, can you start writing for us? And so I said, well, yeah. So, you know, started writing for them. uh, Eventually caught the eye of the Huffington Post. So the Huffington Post reached out and they were like, hey, would you mind freelancing for us a little bit? And I'm like, yeah. And so in the midst of this, you know, I'm just thinking, well, you know, why am I, you know, why why am I not doing anything for myself? You know, and so that's kind of how I got into it. Um But even going back to uh even going back to the first uh, the first book, first book, uh the name of it is Ebenezer the Sneezer. And uh, the way I got to it is because like I said, you know, my daughter Nyla, you know, we're reading, you know, we're writing these stories. I, you know, like I said, i I'd written her 26 different stories, completely different. None of them were series. None of them tied to each other in any way. And so um, I was writing her stories. But at the same time, you know, she started coming down like her allergies started really affecting her. And so, you know, she was in pre-K at the time. And so, you know, kids that age, you know, you're looking at two, three, four year olds. At the time, you know, if if it's not a tummy ache, kids don't really understand what it is, you know, at that age. And so what was happening was half of her friends were like, "Eh, we don't know what this is. So we're not going to fool with you because her allergies would get to the point where she would go into these coughing and sneezing spells. And sometimes, you know, she'd have to cough it up. And so you can imagine being on the, you know, on the playground and a kid does that just, you know, out of the blue to you. You know, I mean, out of the blue, besides you, you know, you, you're not going to know what to think. And so half of her friends were like, yeah, we don't know what this is. So we're not going to be friends anymore. And the other half was kind of like, well, we don't know what this is, but we're going to make fun of it. And so I saw this happening. And so in the midst of writing her bedtime stories, I just slid this one in. I was like, well, what can I do to make it different? So I wrote Ebenezer the Sneezer just like that within a week to kind of bring some levity to the situation and kind of make it something that we can laugh at, you know, just bring, you know, just kind of make it familiar and say, hey, it's okay to be different. And that's kind of how, you know, that's kind of the message that I give to, um, you know, that's what I give to the kids when I talk to them, you know, it's okay to be different. It may not be allergies. It may be something different, but it's okay. You know, because at the end of the day, we're all different. You know, but we we have a lot more, you know, we have a lot more in common than we'll do different. And so that's kind of what I try to use as a teaching tool.
0: Wow, man, that's a powerful story. And just in a grand way, how you came up with the first book, Ebenezer Sneezer. And you're right, man, we are all different. And to be honest with you, that's what makes the world a beautiful place, that we all different and we get to learn from each other. Because if we were all the same, it'd be a pretty boring life, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So that's amazing that you were able to create purpose out of out of that situation your daughter was going through with the allergies and writing the book. So exactly how long did it take you to write that book from cover to cover? Uh,
1: Man, you know it. Well, like I said, it you know it took me a it took me a week to do the to do the actual story. Uh, but as far as going cover to cover, publishing and everything, uh, it took me about nine months. And the reason it took me nine months was because it's just funny how technology works. Uh, My illustrator also lived in Atlanta. And so I knew there were, you know, I knew that there were certain specifications that I wanted. You know, I I wanted my pictures to look a certain way. I wanted the colors to be, you know, the way I wanted them. I wanted all the shapes and all the characters to look how I wanted them. And so we kind of went back and forth. And so, um, this was without me even meeting her. We were just kind of emailing sketches back and forth. And she's an old school illustrator. So, you know, so she gets down with the, you know, with pencil and paper and the sketch pad, you know, drawing the circles for the knees and the circles for the joints and then drawing the arms out and everything like that. And then she goes in and does the computer work where, you know, you have a lot of illustrators now they just go straight in, you know, they go directly into a program. And, you know, it's just a computer program. And, and, you know, you can tell the difference. And so that's why, you know, that's why I liked what she was doing because she was just old school. And if she needed to, all it was, was just a swipe of the eraser. If there was something that I needed to change, she could just erase it and go back, you know, go back and do it. Um, So, yeah. So, so that's why, you know, that's why I enjoyed working with her so much. But it took us about it took us about six months just going, you know, like I said, just going back and forth, sharing information. And when I finally got it down to exactly what I wanted, I went in. Uh, and during this time, I I'd gotten my uh, ISBN, which is my identifier, which is my book identifier, which means the Ebenezer the Sneezer is one of one. It's in the Library of Congress. I had to get it registered for the Library of Congress, so it's there forever. Um, and I also did a barcode. That way, if I do sell, you know, if I did a wholesale to a, a, a branch, you know, I mean, a big chain store, or if I did it to a mom and pop bookstore, you know, it, it was scanned. You know, they could just scan it, you know, like you would anything else. And so it took about nine months, but I was pleased with it. And, and it came out, like I said, exactly like I wanted it to.
0: And that's what it's all about. It really don't matter how long it took, the fact that you took the idea, put the action behind it and you got it the way you wanted it done. You got it in the Library of Congress, which is dope. Like it's a legit way. So, in terms of the next book you end up writing, I want to, I want to say it's called the yeah, The Numbers Ranch. So, what was that process ranch. like? What inspired well, that? And how long did that uh, process take?
1: Uh, this one um this one took let me see. It, it took it took about the same amount of time. May, maybe maybe closer to a year. Um, my youngest daughter is uh, three. She's about to be four, and so at the time, uh, well, still now, um, I do you know just some little part time work on the farm, and she loves going to the farm. I mean, loves it. You know, has her own little set of bud boots and everything. So we get out there and we ride the Kubota, we ride the tractor, we ride the four wheeler. She gets out there and helps feed the animals, you know, and all that. And at the time, you know, like I said, she's in pre-K now. Um, So she wanted to, you know, learn her letters and learn, you know, learn her numbers and everything like that. And so I was like, well, how can I do how can I give her the best of both worlds? You know, give her the animals that she loves and that she sees all the time and also give her the numbers that, you know, that she loves, to you know, that she loves to throw out all the time. And so I was like, well, you know what? The numbers range. And uh, I actually dedicated that one to her, dedicated um, Ebenezer the Sneezer to Nyla and dedicated this one to Emerson. You know, because without, you know, without either one of those, you know, either without either one of them you know, the books wouldn't have been possible because they were my sole motivation for them.
0: Wow, man. And that's powerful, man. Like a story within a story, writing them, being inspired by your children. And that's something that you can share with them as they get older. Like, hey, this this bestseller was inspired. You inspired this. That's cool, right. man. That's really you dope, know? man. Yep. and
1: that, And that's why, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, not only, you know, can I tell them, hey, I dedicated it to you, but it's also in print. You know it's right there in black and white you know this book is dedicated to nyla this book is dedicated to emerson
0: and that's what it's all about man so you talked about the what inspired the books how long it took you to write the books so let me ask you this last portion so in terms of you having an idea taking action on it putting it out there to the world that takes audacity man aside from your kids who else Who or what gave you that courage and audacity to actually publish these books?
1: Uh, Well, you know, I it's funny. um, It's funny how it works because it's kind of like you know, kind of like the principle of osmosis. You know, everything kind of like comes around because once I once I started writing for my, you know, once I started writing for my friend with uh, with his website, and then I started doing magazine writing and. Like, it seemed like as soon as I said, well, you know what, I'm going to be an author. I'm, I'm going to try to, you know, I'm going to try my hand at this. It's like I looked up one day and all of a sudden I was surrounded by like-minded individuals. And you, pro- and you probably know, you know, you can probably relate to that. You know, it's like as soon as you make up, you know, as soon as you make up your mind mm-hmm. that you want to do something and you start working toward that goal, you'll look up one day. And it's and it's not that your old friends are gone, but it's kind of like, you know, the ones that aren't, you know, on the same track with you. They kind of take the back seat for new people to come in and say, well, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Hey, we're all doing the same thing. And and so like, you know, so I take motivation from, you know, I take motivation from a lot of places, I take motivation from my mom, because, you know, after, you know, when, when my dad died, it was just her having, you know, having to take care of me and my sister. You know, um, like I said, I take, you know, I take motivation even from my dad because while he was here, you know, I, I saw him work 12 hours and get off and cut grass and, you know, take care of the house and do it, you know, do everything else he had to do. You know, so there, you know, uh, even my mentor, Carol, take, you know, I take motivation from her. Because I've seen her juggle, you know, I've seen her juggle 10 projects, 10 book projects for other people and still be, you know, still be able to get hers done. You know, and that's a lot like that's a lot of work because I know how much goes into one book. So I couldn't imagine juggling tea.
0: Absolutely, man. So pretty much to sum that up, like everything you said was powerful. It really takes a village in all phases of life, whether you're a child and or you're an adult, and you had a good village around you to help inspire you and motivate you, even in this space as an author, man, that's dope.
1: For sure, for sure.
0: Okay, so let's talk about your career in activism. So when when did you get into that space and what inspired you to get into that space?
1: Man, you know what? That's, that's one of those things, like even now, I, you know, even now I sit around and I, and I think about it and I'm like, man, you know, people call me because they need things done or people call me because somebody referred referred them, you know, referred me to them or them to me. And, and it's just like, man, how did I get there? So the best I mean, the best way I can remember is uh, probably about five, six years ago, um, you know, like right after the books, like, if, like I just started noticing people, you know, and I just, you know, because I was out there doing school visits, uh, going to churches, going to, um, you know, going to recreational centers, stuff like that. Um, and so in addition to doing, you know, in addition to doing school visits and just, you know, and just reading and talking to the kids, I listen. And so I, you know, and so I listened to parents, you know, that said, well, hey, you know, Christmas is coming or this holiday is coming. We have to make tough decisions. Are we going, you know, are we going to have a good meal for Christmas? Or are the kids going to get everything that they want? And, you know, and this is the, you know, this is the parent talking to the teachers and just kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of venting you know, about it. And just, you know, just exasperated by the whole situation. And so my thing was, well, you know what, what can I do? you know, in my position, right? Like i you know, at the, at the time I was just a, you know, I was just a children's author, I hadn't even thought about it. And so I got with, uh, got with two of my buddies and, uh, we talked about it in August, uh, August, 2016. And I was like, man, you know what? Something, you know, something's been on my heart. I just really want to give back. And I said, man, there's people out here making some tough decisions. I said, um, I said, I really want to do 50. uh, I said, I want to give away 50 meals uh, for Christmas. I said, you know, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know who, I don't even know who I'm going to give them to. But I want to give out 50 meals for Christmas. And, you know, a lot of times, man, I, I, I thank God, you know, I thank God for my circle, you know, because a lot of times we have people that, you know, we think are with us and they'll do, everything in their power to talk us out of Ah, man, I don't know. That might be too many people or how much money is that going to be? Or I don't know if I even have the time to help you. But, you know, like I said, my circle, I told those guys, hey, this is what I want to do. They told me when you want to get started. And so that's kind of where we went. And uh, so what we did was we got with a local nonprofit and we told them, hey, this is what we're doing. So what we want you to do is um, just give us 50 names of 50 families, uh, 50 families that, you know, um, that need something uh, for, you know, for the holidays as far as food. Uh, maybe, some you know, particular in particular, people that they, you know, that's usually on their list to help every year. And so they gave us, you know, they gave us 50 families. And, um, you know, it ranged from a single person, you know, single person family, like an older person uh, to I think I think the largest family that we had one time was like 11 people. And so what we did was um, we bought the hams and turkeys ourselves and we, you know, and we took in donations for all the sides. And so about a week before Christmas, you know, we bagged everything up and we numbered like we coded everything by number. Because when we would get the paper, it would have the name, address, phone number, but it also have the family size. And so that's kind of what we concentrated on, the family size, and we separated everything that way. And so we knew exactly how much would go into which size bag. So when they would come, instead of throwing a name out there and trying to shuffle through names, we would just yell out, hey, we need a five. Or, hey, I need a 10. Or, hey, I need a three. And you just go get that bag because you know that all the threes had the same amount in it. All the fives had the same amount. If there were, you know, however many 11s were in there, they had the same amount. And so that's kind of how we did it. And uh, we've been doing it for seven. Well, this will be the seventh year. And so, you know, uh, along with that, just started getting, you know, just started getting more involved in the city Uh, ran for city council, uh, didn't win election, but, Ended up uh, going to the uh, Commercial Development Authority, uh, which works with small businesses and, you know, also larger, you know, larger chains, uh, your larger um, restaurant chains and uh, department store chains to bring out, you know, to to bring business to the city of Silicaga, And so, you know, with my marketing background it's right up my alley. So, you know, so I ended up doing something that I love. Um, I honestly thought that uh, running for city council, I just kind of thought that was my next step after everything that I've done. Mm-hmm. But I realized, hey, this isn't, you know, this isn't where I, I need to be anyway. Commercial development. That's where I need to be. Um, I'm on uh, the Lions Club. I'm on the board for uh, Silicon Lions for Family Enhancement, uh, Habitat for Humanity. I'm on the Tree Commission. And I'm pretty sure it's like two or three more things <laughs> that I just, can't think <laughs> of right um, you know, but I, but I love it. You know, I love getting out there and, and helping people. And, you know, my motto has always been boots on the ground. You know, I, I can sit here and tell you, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Uh, this is what I'm going to do. But if I'm not doing it, you know, that, that's doing that's not doing anybody any good.
0: One thousand percent, man. And like, I commend you for giving back to the community. And like you said, just having your group of guys, group of friends that run with you and they're willing to stand by your side and help you because it's real easy to show up when you're getting a paycheck for something, but to get people to show up with no paycheck attached, like that just goes to show how that shows their character. And that really, to me, man, that proves that they're really there for you, man. Like they're your real friends. And, um, uh, like you said, man, everybody talks, everybody talks a good game, but when it's time to walk, they'll walk <laughs> only a few show up.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, man. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, cause I, you know, I've had, you know, I've had associates like that, you know, and I call them associates because, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, you know, you have to differentiate friends from associates, mm-hmm. um, And and it's just like, man, you know, they come up with every excuse why they can't help you do this or they can't help you do that. Or, you know, man, I don't I don't think we ought to, you know, I don't think we ought to do it this way or I don't think we ought to do it that way. I don't think we should do it at all. And so, you know, you just kind of get you know, you just kind of get away from them and you just kind of steer toward the people that will. But, you know, like I said, thank God I have a core group of people that are more than ready, willing and able to help me out at you know i can call them today and be like hey this is what i want to do they'll be like when you want to do it and that's it no doubt no,
0: no, doubt. Doubt. no doubt i'm, no. I'm bad i
1: mean to cut y'all <laughs> no 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 you good I, I was just gonna say you know no question no resistance no excuses just hey when when are we gonna work on it when when's the best time let's
0: get it no doubt man those type of people you want like I agree with you wholeheartedly. Those associates, they're the people that come with all the problems and excuses and the friends are the people that come with the solutions and they solve problems. And Hey man, we got this initiative. We need to get done. Let's meet on Saturday at 8am and they are there and you don't have to remind them five or six times. You just put it out there one time and they in there, man. Like those are the type of people that you want to, you want to run with for life. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Oh, let me, uh, let me also give a shout out, uh, to one of my, one of my college classmates too. Uh, Brian Smith, Blue. Uh, he runs the Blue Heart Foundation, three three four in Montgomery. Um, couple, let me see, maybe about three years ago, uh, he reached out. Like we, you know, we always stayed in contact even after school. But uh, he started doing, uh, he started doing a back to school giveaway in Montgomery at uh, at Eastdale, and so I would just go down there and just kind of hang out and pass stuff out. You know, just help him out. And then I think uh, the second year I went down there, I donated some books. And last year I went down and I, you know, brought a bunch of stuff. Well, this time, uh, well, last year, he was like, man, you know what? Let's bring it to Silicaga," Because what he does is he dedicates all his school giveaways to someone um, to a child that died of, you know, at an early age of, you know, whatever kind of childhood disease that affected him, he, he dedicates it to that child. So I think he does one in Montgomery. Uh he's done one in uh, I think he does one in Dothan, maybe one in Tuscaloosa, and he added Silicaga last year. And so we're actually getting together, uh, we're actually about to get together uh next week and start planning, you know, for this one. Um, but you know, he he's another you know, he's another good one. If if I call him, you know, even though he's in Montgomery, I'm in Silicon. Or if he calls me, you know, the other person coming running. Whoat, you know, whoever calls, who the other person is gonna come running. No, you know, no hesitation. No, man, just give me till tomorrow or give me next week. Nah, man, we we coming right then. So, you know, so just wanted to give him, you know, just want to give him a shout out for everything that he's doing down there as well.
0: Oh, no doubt, man. Yeah, I know Blue, man. We went to uh, Alabama State. We was at the Alabama State University around the same yeah. time, and um. Yeah, sir. He's been about the activist life, man. He always been giving back to the community, like before it was a popular thing, man. Like he was always just out here boots on the ground, like you said earlier, man. Yeah, blue good people, man.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, and and and, yeah, and like you said, you know that was before, you know. I mean that was before, you know, getting out and doing stuff was a thing. Mm -hmm. You know he and and that's and that's how you know, you know that's how you know when you're in good company, Mm -hmm. when people are doing stuff, you know that that may not be the popular thing. It may not be the end thing. And they know they're not going to get anything from it because, you know, I, I, be just being honest, charity work is a thankless job. Mm-hmm. You know, you do it and, you know, you don't, you don't do it because people are going, you know, worship you and bow down at, you know, bow down to you and say, Oh, thank you so much because you did this. and, this. No, that's not why you do it. You know, you do it because people truly need help. And, you know, even with even with the um, even with the food drive that I do, um, you know, I I sat back one day and I just kept thinking, man, there's something I want to do, something I want to do. I want to give back. And I looked at a couple of charities. um, But then, you know, you you look at the you look at the charity and nonprofit, you you go back and, and you do a little research on them. And you realize what they're making, you know, what they're taking in, which is good. But then you look and see what the CEO and the board is taking in. And you're like, man, you know what? That money could be going to help somebody else. You know, because I think I think I read one year. I, I think it was the year that I got started that the CEO of, well, the, the chairman of um, the Salvation Army was I think they were making like $30 million a year. And I'm like, $30 yeah. million? Man, you know how many people you could feed with $30 million? Right. Or a house, you know? And so my thing was, okay, I'm not going to give to any charity. I'm not giving to any nonprofit. I'm going to do my own thing. That way, because I thought about it, I'm just like, well, everybody's out there ringing the bells at Walmart every, you know, every Christmas. Okay, you pull all this money together, you know, and then this money goes to wherever it goes, whether it's corporate headquarters, whatever, and then they disperse it back out. So, of course, you know, the bigger cities are going to get the lion's share and the smaller cities are going to kind of get, you know, whatever, you know, whatever is divided upon them. You know, I live in, you know, I live in a city of 12,000 people. So I know that of all this money that Silicon Valley probably raised just off, change in Walmart, we're probably going to get back a fraction of that. So not nearly enough to help anybody out in a meaningful way, maybe just through the holiday. But at least with the food drive that, you know, at least with the food drive that we organize, at least I have that ham in my hand. I have that bag of groceries in my hand and I can physically give it to somebody. I know exactly where it's going. You know, as opposed to when you give the charity, you don't know who's getting that money. It could be somebody in California getting, you know, getting your money or it could be somebody in, you know, in Georgia or in New York. And, you know, you still you know, you still going around and you still seeing the same problems around here with homelessness or poverty or something like that. You know, and it's just like, well, at at least this way, I know that I know for a fact that I'm helping somebody because I'm actually looking at it with my two eyes.
0: Right. And that's. To be honest with you, like, that's the best way to do it. Like you just said, you got boots on the ground. You out to touching the people. So you know exactly what those hams and turkeys and those dinners are going to because Salvation Army, Goodwill, yeah, they're they some cooks, man. I mean, <laughs> they're they making yeah. millions of dollars, man. And you just look around. you like, okay, this should be, like, half of that should be forfeited for the people, for the betterment of the people. Like, we, what you doing making 30 million? I mean, I, I ain't counting the pockets, right. but the organization I thought it was for helping the people, but it's like yep. they're fattening their own pockets, man. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> cool, man. But well, nah, man, good stuff with the activist work and everything you've done and will continue to do. And so, let's talk about your time as a speaker. We got you into public speaking.
1: Uh, the well, being an author, because there was a time, and I, and, and it's so crazy because I was talking to, um, I was talking to a friend of mine another day. And I was just telling them how like how much of a phobia I had of public speaking. Like I could be at church. I'll I'll use this as an example. I could be at church talking to five or six people in a group, you know, and I know everybody at church. I could be talking to five or six people. We're we're just all standing around having an informal conversation. And I'm laughing. I'm joking. I'm cracking. You know, I'm I'm doing this and, you know, and, and I'm getting everything out. But as soon as you put those same five or six people, you know, in a pew and put me at the podium, it was something about formalizing it. And I would get nervous and I would start stammering and stuttering, hands, sweating, everything, you know, and it was just weird and it's just hard to explain why. And so, um, you know, being a children's author, it kind of, in a way, it kind of eased me into it because I never really had to speak to I never really had to get up and do a formal speech, uh, you know, not for the first maybe two years. I would just go and do, you know, I'll just go and do school visits. I'll read to the kids and I would just take questions, you know, just do a little question and answer. And so what I found out, though, it was was I was actually strengthening myself and I was bringing down, you know, I was bringing down that guard for uh you know bringing down that fear of public speaking and i didn't even realize it because the more i did it you know because there was a there was a time pre-covid that i was in the school you know three or four you know three or four days a week and so it, you know and so it was like second nature but then what i realized too is my book is for pre-k till about the second grade but then i realized okay well this middle school is reaching out. They want me to come talk. High school is coming. You know, high school is reaching out for me to come to the school. I know I'm not, you know, I know they don't want me to read (laughs) Ebenezer the Sneezer. So now they want me to actually talk to them. And so now I found that it is easier for me to do it. You know, I guess because my thing is, if you can can get a complete conversation out over a pre-K student, or over a kindergartner, you can talk through anything because those little jokes will ask you questions about anything. They don't care that you're talking; it's just whatever. If they're thinking about it and it's in the middle of what you're talking about, they're gonna ask you right then. <laughs> and so you have to stop. You know, you have you know you learn patience. You have to stop and you have to come back to them, and you know, and you and then you have. then the trick is, you have to come back and remember what you were talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. man that's so cool man so it sounds like you being an author that that gift of yours made room for your other gifts the activism right. and being a public speaker and that's cool and you just never know where life gonna lead you like you just said like you used to be nervous and public speaking is most of most people's top fears like it's a top fear for a lot of people man so the fact that you were able to find that gift after releasing the book and getting that rocking and rolling, man. That's dope, man. Like I just I just I love I love hearing people's processing how they go from from A to Z, man. And uh you went from being nervous, being able to speak, you're an author, an activist, making it do what it do. So let's talk about vision. What are your short term and long term goals in the entrepreneurial space and all of your endeavors? Know,
1: uh well, you know let me see short term uh, I'm actually working um uh, actually working on the third book now uh which will be based on my son uh Linux and it'll be uh it's gonna be called Linux's day out and it's gonna be um it's gonna be kind of an adventure book for him that will deal with uh his big imagination so we're gonna, you know it's gonna be I'm still not sure exactly where it's gonna take place, um, but that's what I'm working on. And uh, I, I'm, matter of fact, matter of fact, I'm sending it off to I'm sending it off to the illustrator next month. So that's kind of so that's kind of my short term goal. Uh, I really want to re-release uh, the Numbers Ranch, and the reason is because when I released it. It was in 2020. I think we were in the middle of COVID. I had just got finished running for city council, and I, I man, I remember clear as day. I, I, completed it in March of 2020, but numbers had started going up, and everybody was quarantined again, and um, so I ended up just keeping it on the. You know, I just end up kind of keeping it on the back burner, and so. I kept it kept it kept it kept it and then December I was like man you know what I'm just sitting here looking at this thing let me just put it out and it was an impulse decision and I remember it was it was freezing cold that day I think it was uh two weeks before Christmas. It was freezing cold that day um, you see like I said the COVID numbers were up um, it was raining. And so I think I maybe had at the book signing I maybe had 30 people there and <laughs> probably 20 of them were family just because <laughs> it was you know just because it was bad timing and you know and and it's done okay but I feel like you know with you know with everything kind of opening back up now you know I feel like you know I feel like now is the time to reintroduce it cuz I mean cuz there are a lot of people that don't even realize I re- I've written two books until I tell them, and they show sure can't tell you the names of them. Well, the name of of the second book. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, once I once I release this book next month, uh, just go back and re-release the numbers range. Um, long term, uh, just you know, long term is, you know, to become a best selling author and you know possibly just do it you know, possibly just do this full time. Um, you know, so like I said, I, I work for Alabama Power, but, you know, my schedule allows me to to be able to do school visits three or four days out of the week. So, you know, so I'm thankful for that. But I do eventually want to get to a point where I can do motivational speaking and, you know, just get out there and read my books and sell my books. And, you know, because I think our kids need that. You right. know, not just for me, but, you know, other, you know, other black entrepreneurs, other black authors, you know, other black speakers, you know, pe- you know, black creatives in general, you mm-hmm. know, because we don't, you know, because we don't see that, you know, and and I even tell, you know, I even tell the kids when I, when I talk to them, you know, I'm just, I, I make it a point to tell them y'all look at me because when I, you know, because when I go into a school, I'm in there in some ripped jeans and, Whatever sneakers I have on, a t-shirt, and you know, on a snapback, mm. um, you probably see some pictures. But that's how I show up to the school. You know, I'm not, I'm not there in a the suit and tie because I've lost your interest as soon as I walk in with a suit and tie on. because you don't, you don't care. You, you, you already have. As, as a kid, they have a preconceived notion about what I'm gonna talk about, and it's probably, you know, and they probably say it's gonna be boring, and I get that. So I come in, you know, I, I dress like I normally would. And, you know, and I tell them, I say, hey, look at me. I'm a big black dude with a big beard and tattoos all up and down my arms. But I'm a children's author because that's what I wanted to do. You can be whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Because society tends to tell us, society tends to try to dictate to us what we're going to be. You know, society tells us, well, hey, you're already black. So that's a mark against you. Now you got all these tattoos. You got your hair like, you know, you have your hair looking like this. You have these piercings. You know, you speak like this. You, even you're friends with this person. So this is what you're going to be. And, you know, and I and I tell them, no, nope, no, nope, you're going to be what you want to be. You're going to do what you want to do, regardless of regardless of all of the external things. You're going to do what you want to do and you're going to be what you want to be. And nobody gonna nobody nobody's gonna make that up in their mind for them. You know, and that's what I try to, you know, that's the point that I try to reiterate as much as I can. Do what you want to do, be what you want to be.
0: Absolutely, man. Representation matters. Like I, I I love the fact that you go into those schools being yourself, not going in there with that shirt and tie on. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But like right. kids, kids need to know that you don't have to look a certain way to be successful. You can be a creator. And have tattoos. You can be a creator Mm -hmm. and be black. And you're right, society has definitely conditioned us that we're only good enough to be athletes and entertainers. And that's just narrow-minded. So the kids need to see people like yourself (laughs) and other black creatives that are doing different things because there's so many ways to make an impact and influence in this world outside of being an athlete or an entertainer. So that's dope that you're doing that for the kids and those goals that you that you named. I have no doubt you'll make them all come to fruition at the straight through, you going, for real.
1: I appreciate it, bro.
0: Yes,
1: sir. I'm just one man trying to do his part.
0: No doubt, man, no doubt. As we conclude the podcast, I want to ask a million-dollar question. I started this podcast to highlight the greatness connected with Montgomery, whether you were born here or lived here for a significant period of your life. You being here at the Alabama State University, I want to ask you, what do you appreciate the most about the gump? Man, just
1: just taking me in because they didn't have to. Um, you know, it's I mean, you know, just like just like everywhere else, you know, you you, you have your clicks and and you know you, you have your places to go, your places not to go. But thank God, I was able to go wherever I wanted to go, wherever I needed to go. I mean, I knew you know, but at the same time, I, I knew where where to go, what not where not to go at what time. But you know, man, Montgomery brought me in. You know, it it was a second home to me. And they didn't have to do it, you know. I I still have a lot of friendships down there, you know, and and I still try to get down there at least a couple of times out the month, and just you know just go hang out, you know. A lot of times I just go down there and I just say, man, you know what? we just take a day, and I'm just gonna hang out in the gump, and we just gonna chill. If I, you know, hopefully I can catch up with some of the, you know, with some of the old friends, and we just gonna have a good time and just reminisce on on what we used to doing and how it used to be. So, it, you know, so I'm, I'm real thankful, you know, I'm real thankful for Montgomery for, you know, for taking a chance on me and, you know, and, and loving me like one of their
0: own. Yes, sir. Powerful stuff. So how can people connect with you? DeCorey, what are your social media handles and website?
1: Uh, my social media, I have two pages on Facebook. Um, well, actually I have three pages on Facebook. I have DeCorey Hale. I have author DeCorey Hale. And then I have, um, what is the third page? Uh do, 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 sit. community activist decorey hale. No, community organizer decorey hale. Uh they're on Facebook. Um Instagram is DCO underscore H. I have a Twitter, but I don't really fool with it to the point that I don't even know the name of it. I don't even know my handle right now.
0: <laughs> it's um, all good.
1: And, of course, my website is www.decoreyhell.com.
0: Yes, sir. And, of course, I'll put all of this information in the description of the episode. Hey, Decorey, thanks again for the conversation, man. I really appreciate
1: you. Man, I thank you for having me, man. It's been a blessing, bro.
0: Yes, sir. Good people, that concludes another dope episode of the Gumtown Podcast. In the meantime, in between time, y'all know what to do. Be blessed. Be safe. But most importantly, have the audacity to be you. Gone. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate your time and your attention. Until next time.